Okay, so we are going to start it here. And uh, as I say, I'm thrilled to be uh, beginning a new study today entitled Joyful Together, a study of Paul's letter to the Philippians. And so uh, we've got the Bibles back in the pews now. If you want to grab a Bible, open it up. I can even tell you the page number. I can't always do that, but it's page 980 is where you've got uh, the letter of Philippians is starting. And um, you know, it's when you talk to a pastor, any Christian really, about what is your favorite book of the Bible, it can feel a little bit like, oh, what's your favorite child, right? Um, I have 66 children, as it turns out. Um, very Old Testament. But uh, Philippians has to be, for me, top five. It's just um, such a beautiful letter, suffused with joy, with profound consolation, the comfort of the gospel. Um, it's one of the few letters, many of the letters that we have from Paul are very polemical in nature, which means Paul is, is coming at, he's uh, addressing some issue, he's upset about something, Corinthians, Galatians especially show this, but in Philippians, it's just, it's just joy and thanksgiving, and we'll talk about the occasion or what we can um, discern as the occasion for it here shortly, but why don't I open us with a word of prayer and then we'll, we'll get after it. Dear Father in heaven, thank you for this opportunity to study your word and for the way that you continue to instruct us with these scriptures, even letters written 2,000 years ago. We pray that your Holy Spirit will be present among us to open our eyes and mind to understand what you have taught us here. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, I want to start here. What's joy? What is joy? And maybe in particular, how do you distinguish it from other nice things like happiness or what have you. So I know it's a big, uh, it's a heavy place to start. What is joy? I'm not looking for a perfect definition, but in your mind, when you think about joy, what, what thoughts or feelings or emotions come, come to mind? Elation. Okay, good. What else? Yeah. Yeah, good. Okay, it's not temporary. Good. It's, uh, it's more enduring. Good. Other thoughts, what joy is? Peace. peace. Love, joy, peace. Yes. Um, they go hand in hand, right? You notice Jesus. Joy leads to peace. And I think joy is in some ways the, the fruit of peace also. Jesus says, peace be with you. They disbelieve for joy. Um, good. Yeah, go ahead, Andrew. Excitement. Okay. It might be sometimes, sometimes it, uh, it might be very opposite in some ways, but yeah, joy, the experience of joy can definitely be exciting. Good. Other thoughts? Yeah. Delight. Delight. I like that word. Delight. There's aspects of it. I know that you're feeling it already where you're like, I know what joy is. It's just hard to describe, right? We, we kind of default to using other words, whether it be elation, excitement, delight, all of these things um, are we're trying to get at it. So let me ask you this. When is a time that you experienced joy? When you think about a, a, a moment or season in your life that was especially joyful, what comes to mind? Yeah, Esther. Yes. When you first held your baby boy, 
And I think for any of us who have been gifted with, with children, we would say that, you know, we probably wouldn't say, oh gosh, what is this? This thing is ugly. No, it's joy. You're so, I thought it was, they're always so cute in the movies, but it's slimy. No, it's joyful. It's joyful. What else have you, did you feel joy? Wedding. Wedding? Yeah. Your own or somebody else's? <laughs> Other people too. Other people too. The wedding of a, of a child or even a grandchild. Sure. Yeah, you'll in. Christmas. Yeah, Christmas is another, another time of, of joy. Absolutely. Anything else? Any other times that you guys think of, think, oh, that was a joyful moment. Your taxes are done. Oh, that's joyful. Drop that in the mailbox. See, what I was going to say before Hans said that is one recurring thing you notice with all, all that you've mentioned. I think many of the things we think of is that joy comes in relationship, right? Not your relationship to the IRS, um, but in those relationships, whether it be with children, with spouse, with friends, with, with fellow believers, that we are joyful most when we are joyful together. And Paul really brings us out in his letter to the Philippians. And um, kind of a, a sub-theme as we're going through this is also we're going to keep kind of talking and unpacking our Heart for Arcadia initiative here at church. Because um, the mission of it, and I wrote about that, wrote about it this week in, in this past week's Inklings, is combating loneliness by gathering the scattered. And why? Why does that matter so much? Simply put, because the life of faith is more joyful when we live it together, see? The life of faith is more joyful when we live it together. In so many ways, we are scattered and isolated in our modern world. We're lonely. So to the extent that we are able to gather as God's people to, to share our burdens with one another and to share our joys, we grow more joyful together in Christ. And Paul, I won't say he lays out a roadmap per se. This is not a, a how to be joyful in 10 steps kind of thing but he really um, captures the many facets of that joy and that joy and community in his letter to Philippians. So let me just real quick get through um, that stuff that you got to do at the beginning of a book of the Bible, kind of the who, what, where, when, why, and how sort of stuff. I, it's important and it especially impinges on this letter. So I'm just going to briefly, and maybe some of you are wondering, where's our nice handout that's going to have all this written for us? And I was looking at doing that, but really I find that especially helpful when we do a topical study or even a bigger book of the Bible. But here we're just going to be kind of going through verse by verse. And it would have just gotten too granular if I tried to do a handout for it. So please, by all means, take notes. And if there's things that I say you want to follow up with afterwards, um, ask me. But no handout. So bear with me. Um, who? Okay. This is one of Paul's letters, an indisputed letter from Paul. Here he also says Paul and Timothy, but Timothy isn't recognized as one of the writers. He's just got Timothy in a side pocket there in the sidecar, as it were. But this is, this is Paul. This is Paul writing, and it's Paul in prison. We're not sure exactly where. Traditionally, it's probably Rome, but it's Paul the prisoner, which makes it even more remarkable that he's so joyful in this, and we'll, we'll talk about that. What is it? Well, it's an epistle which again is our fancy $5 word for a what? A letter. And we really can't overemphasize how important that is for us to understand the nature of Philippians as we're interpreting it um, as with Romans, Galatians, these other epistles of the New Testament. We have to remember that it did not start out, Paul didn't sit down. He's like, all right, time to write a book of the Bible. 
but there was a particular occasion and particular people that he wanted to write to. Now, this is not in any sense to underscore the, um, the uh, inspiration of this as holy writ. The church has recognized unanimously through the ages that this is sacred scripture, that Paul was not just writing, but that the Holy Spirit was writing and inspiring Paul as he wrote. Um, but we do need to recognize that he's writing to particular people. It's kind of like in the old days when you used to have landlines, you know, and uh, I'd be talking to a girl on the, on the phone and then suddenly I could hear, it seemed like an, another voice or I could hear somebody else breathing. My brother had picked up the phone in the other room. <laughs> right. You remember those days? We're the little brother in this situation when it comes to Paul's letter. We're listening in on his conversation with the Philippians. And it's divine providence that we do so. But we mustn't forget that. Okay. It's not going, Paul's not setting out a treatise on theology. He's not answering every question that we might have. It's a, it has a particular occasion, particular things that have raised it. And so we want to be, we want to be sensitive to that. So that's the what. The when, circa 60 AD, don't know for sure. This is after Paul would have um, done his missionary journeys. And now he's back and he's kind of following up with the churches that he has planted. Um, and you can read more. We're not going to look at it today, but if you're interested, you can see the genesis, the origins of that Philippian church in Acts chapter 16, where we have the story of Paul going to um, the riverside and meeting Lydia. Lydia is the first convert in Philippi. Then he finds himself in jail, as he often does. It occurs to me, and it's kind of a joke among call committees, Paul would never get a, a call as a pastor. Like, look at this guy's track record. He's in and out of jail. You know, he seems a, a little bit off kilter here. I really think we need somebody a little more stable as our pastor. I digress. But um, this is around 60 AD. And where he's writing to Philippi, I, I, through the years, I've found people, many of God's people have been able to go on these trips. Has anybody been to Philippi? Carla, you have. Fantastic. What would you tell us about Philippi? Or what, does anything in particular stand out to you from it? It looks like nothing. It is not the city that it was 2,000 years ago. And it was a pretty big deal at that time. So it had a name before. I forget what its previous name was. Do you happen to know? Okay. It gets named Philippi after Philip of Macedon, the father of Alexander the Great, becomes a, a city, part of the Roman colony. It's kind of, if you're looking on a map, I, I should have printed this up. Um, it's like northeast of Greece, Athens, northeast of Thessalonica, in the region that was known as Macedonia at that time. And uh, that's where Philippi was. It's not the town that it was then. I think it's modern Turkey, if I'm not mistaken. But yeah. Yes, it was. So it was gold mining was. Yeah. Right. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was kind of the, the Indianapolis of its day, all right? The crossroads of Macedonia. That was the slogan. No, um, but that was kind of what it was. It, it had this um, key place, and we see this with many of the cities where Paul set up churches. Um, and it's an interesting contrast where the ministry of our Lord Jesus was more often than not in small towns, in villages. He himself is from Nazareth. Um, but as the mission of the church really takes off, Paul first goes to the cities. He's, he's going to go to Athens and ultimately where he wants to go most 
Rome. Um, but he's strategic in those, in those places. So that's the who, what, when, and where. And then finally, the why. And this really gets us into the, the overall theme of the letter. Paul is writing simply out of joyful gratitude for the Philippians' partnership in the gospel, because they have joined with him in God's mission to spread the good news, um, probably in particular, it was kind of like the letters that Chip sends after he gets a nice big check, a donor check, right? Um, this is kind of a, a thank you fundraising letter. The Philippians had given him um, a gift to support the ministry, and he's writing them in thanks for that. But it, it's so much it's so much more than that, right? It's so much more than that. But that is what spurred it on, like joyful gratitude. So go ahead, So it also addresses some problems, although the problems don't seem to be so much like they are in, in many of the other letters where it's problems within the church, whether it be the divisions or what have you. Um, here he has more of a sense of that they're already enduring persecution uh, for the sake of the gospel. And as much as anything, that's what he, he seems to want to address. Um, there are some you know, other things that come up along the way. Perhaps they could use a little more dose of humility, um, but this is true for, for any of us. Um, it's pretty much unalloyed joy, which makes it so remarkable. So I want to um, read aloud because, again, this was a letter Paul wrote to the church. It was understood that it wasn't a private letter, okay, but it was a personal letter, but it was to be read publicly in the context of, of their gathered worship. So I'm going to read it aloud to you. I want you guys just to, to listen, okay? Don't follow along reading, but just listen as I read it to you. And imagine that I'm only going to read the first 11 verses. That's all we're going to have time for today. But just imagine you're there, probably in, in a home, large home, one of the um, uh, fellow members of the church. There's probably, what do we have here, 20 folks. There's probably not that many more, maybe twice that, perhaps 40 the um, structures literally couldn't hold that many more than that. So we know those early churches were, were quite small, but the Paul's letter would have been read. Imagine how excited you would have been. Oh, we got a letter from Paul. What's he have to say? Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. And it is my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and, and all discernment, so that you may approve what is excellent, and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Okay, anything in particular stand out to you from those first few verses or something that, that jumped out at you from Paul's words. We're going to walk, walk through all of it, but just one thing. Okay. Right. Yes. So good question. So yes, there is a, 
a standard form where you would have, I mean, this is just a standard with Greek letters in general, um, in addition to Paul's epistles, where you would have the, the signature, you would have the address, and then you would have kind of the salutation and thanksgiving. So you start out, you know, I, Tertius, write to you, Eustace, um, and I'm thankful for our, our friendship, what have you. Um, it is interesting with this letter, especially when you compare it to, say, Galatians. Let's just turn real quick to, to Galatians, um, since you brought this up. So um, this is nifty. I'll just give you a page number. If you've got your own Bible, I don't know the page numbers on your Bible. Um, but in the Pew Bible, page 972, just to flip a few to the left. Um, so with Galatians, you get a very different feel. So it starts out, Paul, an apostle, not from men, nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God, the father who raised him from the dead and all the brothers who are with me to the churches of Galatia. All right. In that instance, Paul's starting. And it's almost like right off the bat, like Paul, the guy that who's in charge here, the one who Jesus especially called. All right. Don't lose sight of that. And then um, he gives his grace to you in peace. But then there is no thanksgiving in Galatia. Verse six, I am astonished that you are so quickly deserting him who called you. Paul's like, okay, we're just going to get right to it. I'm not thankful right now, okay? Um, then you also think of Romans. You go further to the left. Romans also says a lot about the relationship that Paul has with his recipients. I'm not going to read all these verses, but in, on page 939, um, you have, it's starting, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus. And you've, you've basically got, was seven verses of his opening wind up till finally, you know, to, to all those in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God, our father. And then he goes into his Thanksgiving. Um, you get the impression that Paul has not yet met the Roman Christians, that he's kind of doing a longer extended introduction to them. Um, so you can learn a lot from just that opening introduction. So here in these first couple of verses, uh, of back to Philippians chapter one, you have Paul saying, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi with the overseers and deacons, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then he gets into his thank you. So here it's a pretty standard signature. But one thing I wanted to, to point out to you about um, this first verse, which is already anticipating something he's going to talk about later. He says, Paul and Timothy, servants, or literally slaves of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus, and the ESV says, who are at Philippi. What it literally says in the Greek is, all the saints who are in Christ and who are in Philippi. And I think that here he's, he's capturing in a simple way the kind of dual citizenship that you and I have as Christians. We are, on the one hand, um, citizens of the city of God. You are in Christ Jesus, okay? That's your, your ultimate and uh, preeminent citizenship. You're citizens of heaven. But you're also, and at the same time in this life, uh, citizens of the city of man, okay? The Christians who are in Philippi. You're not just Christians in the abstract in general, but God has placed you in a particular place. To the, to the Christians or to God's people, to the saints who are in Christ, in Arcadia, in Onekama, in Bear Lake. See, God has called you and me to a particular time and place. He wants us to be here. 
here I, I think of uh, the great um, paraphrase in John 1.14 from the Message Bible. I often go back to this where it says in John 1.14, according to the message, the word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. See, God is always doing his work in the neighborhood, in these particular places, even as we have this citizenship at once part of the city of God and the city of man. Then the question is, well, how do we navigate that tension, that dual citizenship? When should I be more a Philippian and when should I be more a Christian? And Paul would say, no, you're always both at the same time. And he's going to return to this theme, especially in, in chapter three. But I wonder, is this something that you have thought about and wrestled with, this kind of dual citizenship, or is that a newer novel way of, of thinking about it? Is this something that you've considered before, how I'm both you know, a part of the city of God and part of the, the city of man? Do you have any thoughts or reflections about that? Yeah, Chip. It seems we often think of it in, in church terms and it being in the world or of the world. And sure. It's kind of like there's a secular world and there's a Christian world. Right. And, you know, kind of like the Vedic option. Book, you know, talk about like, you know, we are to be separate from the world, you know. And right. So, I, so this is an interesting, this is a different way of looking at it. Well, so yeah. So if you think of the, the kind of the Venn diagram, right? of this sort of overlap of identities and that idea of being separate from the world, of course, you know, comes from Jesus himself, that we are to be in the world, but not of the world. So you are in Philippi, you are in Arcadia, you are in the place that you're of, uh, that, that you live, but you are not to be of it. And that preposition is doing a lot of work there where it's like, okay, you don't take on the, um, the, the worldview or the mindset of the world per se. Um, but you're still living in that place. And he has not, yeah, he hasn't called us to escape the world. He said, no, 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 you, I've put you here, right? Um, Pastor Newton often makes the point in 1 Peter chapter 1, Peter writes to, and maybe he mentioned this last week, I don't know, it's one of his favorite verses to go back to. He says, to, to the elect exiles, Peter writes to the elect exiles, 1 Peter 1 verse 2, I think. And uh, Pastor Newton makes the point, you are both elect and an exile. In other words, God has chosen you for this condition and for this place. Similar to when um, Jeremiah writes to the exiles saying, hey, don't try to be other than you are. God hasn't called you to, to have an uprising against the Babylonians. You are to be in Babylon, not of Babylon, but truly to be there for the sake of, of your neighbor. So yeah, it is that, that kind of both and rather than the either or for sure. Yeah, Hans. They had the same privileges of Rome. Yep. Citizen of Rome. That's right. If you're born there, you become a citizen. Yes. Yes. It is. So citizenship of both of those. Yeah. That's a good point. Thank you for bringing that up. So uh, what Hans is talking about is so um, Philippi is a Roman colony, and that was very much a badge of pride for um, people in, in that time. We see this with, with Paul. Well, he, he will, um, in the book of Acts, we see him kind of reminding um, the, uh, the Roman guards, hey, I'm a citizen, okay? It happens in, in Philippi, in Acts chapter 16. Um, it, was, it was a point of pride 
even as like people from Michigan, we go around with our, you know, our mitten uh, bumper stickers, this sort of thing, like, hey, I'm native to Michigan, right? I'm not some Johnny come lately, okay? People from Texas, Colorado, same sort of thing, okay? Um, it would have it been that way. I, so I think in a sense, Paul is both tapping into that, but then also relativizing it in a sense, saying, hey, but your first citizenship, your primary identity is not as a Roman citizen, but as a citizen of the kingdom of God. See, so I, Paul's so good at doing this, where he recognizes what's important to the people, but then he says, let's just keep it in its proper order, its proper placement. Yeah. Okay, so he writes, you have this dual citizenship, and then he says that great grace and peace, okay? Just always rolls off of Paul's tongue, grace and peace. And one commentator I read pointed out this might be a suggestion of his ministry, both to Jew and Gentile. So grace was very much part of that Gentile vocabulary of the gospel, kyrene, uh, uh, the charis of God, um, the grace. That's not to say that grace wasn't there in the Old Testament and among the Jews it was, but it was especially emphasized in the proclamation of the Gentiles. But then on the other hand, peace, of course, shalom, right? That great rich Hebrew Old Testament word. So that perhaps there's a hint there of the Jew and Gentile, grace and peace, both of them go together. And I would also say, I like to always point out these gospels in a nutshell. Grace and peace is another great gospel in a nutshell. Grace and peace in Jesus. That's what, that's what we have. That's a good um, jumping off point there. All right. Any other questions or thoughts on verses one and two? Okay. Yeah, go ahead, Bill. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a good point. So Bill's saying is that there seems to be a deficiency in English language when it comes to our, our preposition in. It's not able to capture the, the richness of being in Christ Jesus. And frankly, I think that every language is going to struggle with that. Of in Philippi too. Yeah, that's true. Yep. Yeah, that's right. We're embedded in both. I think that's why Paul will take pains to really unpack that. Like everything he needs and wants to say can be encapsulated in that little phrase in Christ Jesus. This is your identity. This is how you live. Um, but he's going to need to unfold that because that little word can only do so much, so much work. So that's a good point. All right. I want to um, lead us now through verses three through 11, his thanksgiving and his prayer. And one way to look at these verses is that Paul's kind of looking past, present, and future. So first with verses three through six, he's looking to the past and the relationship that's already there. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Have you ever been in a lonely place where the remembrance of someone or a visit from someone 
really brought you joy? Um, when I was a missionary in, in Thailand, I was basically by myself. There were two other folks, but they were on a different side of the city. I was basically um, by myself there. And it got to be very lonely, not least because there weren't a lot of people I could speak English with even. So sometimes it felt very isolating. But a friend of mine, a fellow missionary, visited from a different country, had a few days off, came and saw me. And it was like, it was just water on a parched ground. Like I did not realize how lonely I was until suddenly I had this friend come and, and visit me and was like, oh, wow, I've been missing this so desperately. But have any of you ever had that experience before of just, yeah, Esther? Yeah. Right. Yeah. Just, she said, just during the pandemic, over the course of the last year, especially I think during that first couple of months of the, of the lockdown and the quarantine, but even in many ways over the, over the last year, it's kind of felt that way. Where suddenly to see somebody, to see a friend, to be physically with them is like, oh, whoa, you know, realize we took it for granted. Yeah. Others of you, have you had that, that experience before the joy of remembrance or visit? I hope you have. I think you probably have at, at various times. But this is really what Paul is getting at here at the beginning when he says, look, I thank my God and all my remembrance of you. The simple thought of, of calling it to mind. And you have that experience when you think of a happy memory and, and just a smile naturally comes across your face, right? This is how Paul feels when he thinks about the Philippians, that already that Thanksgiving um, just wells up in his heart. And there's that word joy. Every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy. It suffuses all else in this letter and, and in his ministry. Like this is what, um, why he's writing this. This is the, the source of his thanksgiving, this deep joy. But why, where is this coming from? Verse five really hits on that, that because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. And that word partnership there is a Greek word that we also often bring up. It's the word koinonia. Let me hear you say koinonia. Koinonia, yes. Just rolls off the tongue. From the adjective koinos, which means things in common. And so that koinonia is what we have in common, this partnership that we have in the gospel. And it's so fascinating. Paul is saying this now. I'm... Uh, thinking about this as I'm in, I'm in jail and I have this remembrance of you and I'm so grateful that you haven't just left me alone, see, but that we are in this together. We are in this together. And that brings him joy. So he thinks about the past work that they have done and what is yet to come. And verse six just uh, underscores that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He who began a good work in you will bring it to completion in the day of Jesus Christ. God leaves no work unfinished. But one nuance that I think we can miss about this verse is what it kind of sounds like he's saying is, look, when Jesus comes again, then God's going to wrap up everything. He's going to finish his work. In the meantime, just hold tight. All right. Uh, it's going to be a while. We don't know how long it's going to be, but on the last day, he's going to fix everything. Um, but the nuance of uh, how Paul puts it here suggests not that just that he's going to bring it to completion on that day, but that even now, even now, he is working on you. See, you, you have that sign over every one of you, like 
God at work here, okay? We are works in progress. And that even now the Holy Spirit is sanctifying you, transforming you, making you new. It's a work that is not going to be brought to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. But make no mistake, it is happening right now. And some days we feel it more keenly than others, right? Like, oh gosh, okay, I'm really a work in progress. But don't feel bad about that, see? This is, this is God at work within you. And just like we say to my kids now when they're like, oh, I'm feeling so sore. Why do they feel so sore? Growing pains, right? I mean, growing pains. Like this is part, that means that you're, that you're growing. You're getting bigger. You're getting older. It's, it's part of the process. Similarly, we have spiritual growing pains. Those times when we're like, oh, Lord, I'm just not kicking the sin the way I thought I would. I, I hope that I'd be more sanctified by this age, right? but he is working on you and he will bring it to completion on the day of his return. It's great comfort to me. And I hope it is for you as well. But any questions or reflections on these first few verses, Paul's looking the past of God who has begun this good work in them. He's thankful for this partnership that has already, has already started. It's a great verse also for Christian greeting cards. <laughs> See many times, many times. I thank God in every remembrance of you. Thank you, Paul. That'll be that'll be good for my card. All right, verses seven and eight. Then he kind of turns to that present relationship. He says, "Okay, uh, it is right for me to feel this way about you all because I hold you in my heart. For you are all partakers with me of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how I yearn for you all." with the affection of Christ Jesus. Now, it's kind of interesting how he starts this passage, this section, verse seven. It's right for me to feel this way, or it could otherwise be translated, it's justified for me to feel this way. And Hans, that possibly hints at an issue that was going on, not so much in Philippi, but among the churches. So you can imagine, okay, Paul, big deal missionary, going to visit the churches, and you know, he's got Corinth, he's got, Galatia, he's got Colossae, he's got these different ones, but Philippi seems like the one that he really likes. Uh, it seems like Paul's playing favorites a little bit, and maybe the other churches are getting a little bit jealous. They're saying, why is he, why is he so concerned about Philippi? Why is he so happy about Philippi all the time? Rejoice, I'm so happy. Perhaps this, what Paul's saying is, look, it's right for me to feel this way about you. No, I'm not playing favorites. No, it's not that I care more about you than the other churches, but it's right for me to feel this way uh, about you. And why is that? Because I hold you in my heart for your partakers with me of grace. It's always bringing it back to the gospel saying, look, I, it's, I, I'm justified in feeling this way because you're like my spiritual children. And uh, he goes on to say, I hold you in my heart for you are all partakers with me of grace. And part, that word partakers there is the first instance, what we're going to see many times throughout this letter, Paul invents or coins a, um, a compound word where he'll take whatever the noun is that he wants to um, emphasize. In this case, the word koinonos, related to koinonia, a participant, and then he'll tack on a preposition. The Greek preposition is soon. S-U-N. And soon just means with. And this really emphasizes or illustrates how Paul is all about that withness. See, 
the togetherness of what, of what they're doing. So he's making up words where he just tacks on with this. And here's an instance where it's almost kind of redundant, where he says, you are my fellow partakers, my fellow partakers. We are in this together, see. You're my fellow partakers with me and uh, in, of grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, saying, look, this is a great grace that I'm in jail. Um, but he says that because he recognizes the work of God behind it, and then in particular, that the Philippians are with him, are joining with him in this journey. And then in verse 8, God is my witness, how I yearn for you all with the affection of Christ Jesus. It's a beautiful phrase. And you think about this, kind of to Esther's point, about how good it felt to be back in church when after we had been away for a while. That kind of yearning is what Paul is, is talking about. It's a spiritual yearning that comes deeper. It's not just a human longing, but it's a spiritual yearning that is born of Christ itself. We feel it for one another in, in the body of Christ. We feel it for God's church. We feel it when we want to see the gospel go out and God's name to be honored and exalted. It's that godly yearning that Paul's talking about here, which is for all of us. See, But finally, verses 9 through 11, this beautiful prayer. And, you know, um, when you're thinking about sometimes we struggle with, gosh, I don't know what to say in prayer this day. I don't have anything in particular. A great place to go can be the prayers of the New Testament, the prayers of, of Paul, because all scattered throughout his letters, you have these prayers. And here's one of them. And so imagine yourself, you can pray this, just kind of change the pronouns or you know, kind of mix it around a little bit. It says, it's my prayer that your love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment so that you may approve what is excellent and so be pure and blameless for the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Like, whoa, okay, there's a lot more to that than just, God, I just pray for you to bless me or to bless so-and-so. And can God use those prayers? Yeah, of course. He takes whatever we, we offer to him. But I think there's something even richer when we use the words of scripture itself and pray it for our family, pray it for our fellow church members, pray it for our community. And we just got a couple of minutes left. I just wanna draw out um, two things about this prayer. The first one, what's the foundational thing that Paul is praying for, for the Philippians? What's the primary thing he's praying for? For their what? Their love, right? A big L word. He's praying for their love, that their love would abound more and more. And not just in some wishy-washy way, but he says with knowledge and all discernment. See, that your love would be formed um, and, and informed by a true knowledge of God. Not just, you know, some sentimentality, but that this is a true rooted knowledge. But then the second thing is this. So that, verse 10, so that you may approve what is excellent, or literally so that you might discern through testing the things that really matter. He uses this interesting word, a pair of interesting words. Uh, the first one, to discern with testing, docamazo, which means not just approve, but it's the kind of through a sifting out process, right? 
It's through that kind of lived experience, through the, the school of hard knocks, where now you are able to understand it can't just be a theoretical sort of thing. But Paul's praying that as you and I live this Christian life, as we struggle with how do we apply grace and forgiveness in a particular situation, so that then through that, he says, that you might be able to approve diaferanta, what literally the, the, the things that make a difference, the things that matter. Not just that you would approve what is excellent, many of these things will be excellent, but so that you're able to figure out the things that really matter. And if there's one takeaway for you uh, with today's study, I hope that it, it's this, because in our society today, we are so awash with information, with entertainment, with all kinds of distractions, things that can pull us this way and that. My prayer is your pastor for you. I hope your prayer for yourselves and for others is that our love would abound more and more so that we can approve, so that we can figure out as we struggle, as, as we're working through in faith, the stuff that really matters. Because there's so much that at the end of the day, it just doesn't matter. That on the last day, when our Lord Jesus comes again and finishes his good work, it's going to be forgotten. It's going to be blown away like chaff. And so why not now, in the present, pray to discern, Lord, what really matters? Help me to figure out what I should be giving myself to, what I should be pouring out my heart after, what it is that really matters. That's his prayer for the Philippians. That's my prayer for you as we go throughout this week that our love might abound more and more so that we can figure out the stuff that really matters. Next week, we will pick up with verse 12, the letter to the Philippians. I encourage you to read it throughout the week. Uh, we'll go to the second half of that chapter. Feel free to read the whole letter if you like. You can read it in probably 20, 25 minutes. Come with your questions and thoughts. I look forward to continue digging into it with you. So go in his grace and peace.